Welcome out to Pikapi Podcast, your Pokemon anime podcast celebrating the fun and the fail of the Pokemon anime from start to finish. We are a very, very long way from the finish line, but we are also a very long way from the starting line. We're like, we're all the way up to 243 in the Johto journeys. Not at all bad. I'm pretty proud because it is April, my anniversary the chronological anniversary of this podcast. Five years, boys and girls, five years. That's a long time to stick with anything. I'm, I'm pretty stoked. And then Pokemon Crossroads interviewed me like I was a famous person. It was great. <laughs> I'll put a link to that on my blog page if you want to read it. I also retweeted it on Twitter, so. But yeah, that was exciting. And of course, over the weekend was April 1st, which is uh, Satoshi and Pikachu's anniversary. That was the first day the anime aired in Japan. And yeah, they've had a, quite the tumultuous journey over the years, <laughs> as we've covered. If you want to go back and refresh yourself as to what that first day was like, well, you know where the archive is. Some people's Pokemon journeys begin better than others. It's got to be an awkward party when your celebration of like, this is the first day we met and the first day of our journey is also, you know, this is the day we almost died. But whatever. Happy anniversary, Ash. We're very proud of you. Of course, having hit the chronological anniversary gets me thinking um, towards episode 250, the 250th episode of the anime. We've like well past 250 episodes of this podcast when you add the specials and the movies. But the round numbers are usually where I make more of a to-do. And then, of course, by the end of this year, we should be closing out Johto. And that will lead us into the very best Like No One Ever Was Awards. I know it's been a long time since we've had that mock awards ceremony. It's been a long, long trip through Johto, but it's certainly a long ways off to be planning that. But I do have it on my radar. But as I'm thinking of all these big things that are coming up um, this year, like I said, 250, it's not going to be that long. I kind of want to do something a little bit special. We just hit five years of this show after all. We should, like, mark the occasion. I've been thinking about it on my own, but I'm throwing it out to you guys. Like, how would you like to celebrate this milestone of an accomplishment? Whether you have, you know, been listening since around the beginning or you just binged watched, like, over 200 episodes. With five years worth of back catalog, this show is a commitment for all of us. <laughs> anyway, big shout out and thank you to our sponsor, uh, Poke Press. Always supporting this show, and definitely without them, the five years would have been quite the struggle. There have definitely been a few emergency run out to Best Buy and buy a microphone instances, so I've, I've been very grateful to have them on board. <laughs> 
PokePress is your source for interviews about the Pokemon world, as well as news and general fan fun. They document everybody's journey through Pokemon, from the fans and the cosplayers and the, the gamers, champions and competitors, to the actors and songwriters and directors, concert musicians, everybody involved in Pokemon. Their stories can be found on PokePress's blog or YouTube channel. It's really fascinating. Check them out. They're at pokepress.blogspot.com or they have a YouTube channel. Whether you're a fan of a particular actor and want to hear more from them or you're just interested in a part of the Pokemon fandom that you don't inhabit. Like, like I know when it comes to the video games, I'm always like, I, I can raise a team. I can compete and, and win. And then I actually play and it's like I have no concept of strategy. Like I don't even have Ash strategy going on. So it's interesting to me to hear the mindset of people who can play this Pokemon game and actually win. <laughs> there is like a strategy and a math quality to this game that it fascinates me to learn about people who like have the brain for that, who can figure out the EV training and put together a team that complements each other and stuff like that. Anyway, for stuff like that and much, much more, definitely check PokePress out. Um, I'll have links to their sites on my blog page, and I'll give you that info at the end of the episode. We're on 243, boys and girls. Same old song and dance. This is kind of a fun episode, um, but it starts as pretty much all of them do these days. The kids are walking through the woods. Ash is exhausted until he hears there's a town just up ahead. Then he can run. But more importantly, uh, following behind the kids is Jigglypuff. <laughs> it's been a long time since we saw you. Anyway, um, the word town is misleading. This is more of a city. And while they comb the streets for a restaurant, uh, they come across a purple-haired girl, ponytails and glasses, and she's doing something with a boombox and two uh, spherical-shaped Pokemon. Igglybuff they are. Togepi is interested and runs over and Mama Misty has to run after and then Ash and then Brock and Brock's in love at first sight but it seems this girl Brittany isn't super interested in him and once we learn who she is we'll find out why she can do so much better. Anyway um this Brittany uh, she has twin Iggly buffs named Giggly Biff and Giggly Buff <laughs> and Brittany I guess you could say she's in show business? Her own words. And by guess, I mean she's a singer and the star of her own TV show. Oh, your modesty, young one. Anyway, she claims no one was really watching until she put the twins on, which, judging by her previous understatements, probably meant she had thousands of viewers, and thanks to the Igly Buff twins, now they have millions. Um, but it must be a popular show. Brock has heard of it, and that's actually impressive because these kids don't watch a lot of TV. There was one movie where they all camped out in a Pokemon Center to watch the Bocker Tournament, so it seems that some Pokemon Centers have a television and the kids may have caught some programs here and there, but they do spend most of their time out in the woods hiking and stuff. And even when they're in town, we don't see them with a lot of downtime. We hardly ever see them watching TV at all, anywhere. So that implies that Britney's show has been going on for a while, long enough for the odds of it actually falling on their radar goes up. 
Or maybe Brock even became a fan of it while in Kanto, where he had access to a TV at home. And that's impressive if you apply real-world Kansai Kanto rules, because Kanto, the Tokyo area, um, that's where the bulk of the television scene is in Japan, whereas out in Kansai, the Johto area, um, there is a lot of local TV programs, and Osaka has a pretty big, like, entertainment media thing going on, but they don't often get broadcast anywhere else. And I'm sure that's true of other regions, um, but I see a lot of times when I'm looking at the stats and viewership ratings of TV programs, um, like J-dramas and stuff, or, or music programs, I'll see a percentage for Tokyo, Kanto area, and a separate statistic for Kansai. Like, even now, as I feel that things are starting to change and Osaka's become a lot more, like, a lot, like you know, they've built the Kyocera Dome and stuff, like, a lot more stuff is happening in Osaka, it still seems to be divided in the stats. And most artists from the Kansai area, you know, while they can do well in Osaka, eventually migrate up to Tokyo in the same way we all pilgrimage to New York or L.A. or Chicago, because that's just where the scene is. If you want to get broadcast nationally, it seems that, you know, you need to move your operation to Tokyo. Like, it's kind of a weird tangent, and I'm not as knowledgeable as I should be. This is just kind of what I observed while I was over there. But it just strikes me that these three would not have a lot of time to be catching local TV shows. And not a lot of interest in the local programs probably either, because, you know, it wouldn't be the stuff that they grew up watching, you know, at home. Which suggests that Britney's self-titled show has got to have been around for a little while and probably super big in Johto or it takes a wider broadcast and has popularity in Kanto too. Either way, she's a bigger deal than she's letting on. Um, today they're going to do their first ever live concert on the show a live taping. They've invited a huge audience for the filming and that's what Britney and the Igly Buff are practicing for. And the kids are happy to watch and sort of be the dress rehearsal audience. Um, Brittany's got a fun little song and dance routine. She's a total idol. Anyway, Team Rocket are watching and um, showbiz, if they can catch these twins, well, the sky's the limit. And Jigglypuff's like, oh, I can sing too. Ash has to act fast to swipe the microphone. And while Brock is mollifying poor Jiggly, um, Ash stashes it in his backpack. He intends to give it back to Jigglypuff after Britney's concert. They just want to get through this event without everyone falling asleep. But that might not be soon enough. Jigglypuff is getting so jealous listening to everyone talk about Britney singing and the Igglybuff dancing and how they could one day be superstars and the concert's going to be a smash. Oh, Jigglybuff's so mad. <laughs> Does it really not realize its own biology? Like... Does it ever talk to other Jigglypuff or, or any other Pokemon and be like, like, so this thing always happens when I sing? And they're like, oh, yeah, me too. Like, has Jigglypuff really figured it out? Like, has Jigglypuff really not figured out that people are falling asleep, not out of disrespect, but because they physically can't stay awake? Maybe it doesn't believe that's possible. Like, my singing is so fantastic. People should, like, supersede the biological effect. <laughs> I don't know. But also, I do wonder, like, if Jigglypuff sang another song, like, a different song, would it have the same effect? Like, if it sang a rap song? Um, but anyway, Jigglypuff is so mad, it actually beats up the Igglybuff. 
takes their little costumed headbands and grinds them into the dirt, slaps them around until the Iggly Buff cry, like, oh, Jiggly, you're horrible. And it acts all sweet and helpful when Misty comes by, like, oh, the poor things, it must have been the wind, right. Well, the concert is ready to begin. The Iggly Buff have even cuter headbands with little wings, um, Brittany's shed her glasses and she's got a ball gown on. Um, she, she really shined up like a penny. And I love Ash here and, and Brock as well, because like, there's no way they should be so gung ho about this. I mean, that's not entirely correct. Kids can love whatever they want. Um, but you know, society hammers in pretty hard that this is way too girly for any self-respecting little boy to enjoy. And that as we get older, like, you know, this genre is way too poppy and packaged for us to enjoy. Like, if it's not some indie acoustic singer-songwriter, then we should make fun of it. Um, but, you know, one of the things I love about this show, like, Britney and the Pokemon are passionate about this, so therefore, Ash cares, because they care. Like, her dream is to entertain people, and the show presents that as a wonderful dream to have, and there's no such thing as making people happy the wrong way. And I like that, because... Like, you know, I want to be in entertainment. Um, five years on a podcast, I am in entertainment. Um, and I'm always getting riled up when, when people make fun of boy bands or whatever. Like that they're somehow less than. It's like, yeah, how dare they entertain people and make them happy? How dare they put on a concert where thousands of people genuinely have a good time? They should feel humiliated because they didn't do whatever superficial criteria the hipsters are lauding this decade. Like, <laughs> as I'm sure you've noticed, sometimes this is the Anne takes things way too personally and Pokemon is a platform to whine about it show. <laughs> but I do kind of think this is important, like that Ash is presented as loving this thing solely because Britney's enthusiastic about it and other people are happy and so he will have fun too. Anyway, back to the plot. Um, Jigglypuff is still kicking the two Igglybuff whenever the humans aren't looking and just being a general jerk. Um, but soon the concert begins. Uh, Brittany and the Looney Balloons take the stage and play to this huge house. Like, like we're talking the Budokan, like maybe an entire arena even. Like, this is amazing. Like I said, she underplays it, but Brittany's kind of a big deal. <laughs> And in the audience, like, Jigglypuff is remembering that Ash has the microphone in his backpack, and there's this big old stage here, and that backpack is in Britney's dressing room, and the audience is just raring for some real entertainment, like, so it runs off, sneaks backstage, and rifles through the stuff until it finds its microphone. Yes, now these people will learn what real talent is. Now, important detail... Um, while Jiggly is going through all the backpacks, it finds some interesting stuff, or at least one interesting item, um, in Misty's backpack. One of the objects it throws out of the way is a handkerchief. Um, it's sort of pinkish with kind of a sun design on it, I guess. Um, if that's not ringing any bells, well, just wait another 20 or 30 episodes. It's going to get very important. Kind of a weird bit of foreshadowing, but my heart did go a little bit pitter-patter when I saw that. Um, Jigglypuff steals some bread from Brock's backpack and then eventually finds its microphone and jumps on stage, opens its mouth to the horror of the kids, begins its song, 
and is thankfully interrupted. By Team Rocket and the big ostentatious motto, the song version. They've, like, blown a hole in the ceiling. They're wearing costumes. And is there a theme to this? Are they referencing any show in specific with those costumes? Because to me, it looks like they went to a thrift shop and bought whatever was on sale. But, (laughs) like, James has a sailor outfit on. It's exposing his midriff a little, but, you know, (laughs) whatever, James. He's happily bebopping along, so yeah, he's living the dream. Um, Jesse has, I don't know, some period dress in yellow and black and this wide-brimmed hat. I love that. And and heels. Meowth has a little girl's dress on and a purse, and they're doing this choreography. (laughs) They definitely rehearsed this one. Um, It's something else. But wow, the male otaku portion of Britney's fanbase is not having any of this. (laughs) And with Another motto, the non-song version on top of that, they strip down to their rocket uniforms and prepare to steal the Igly buff. James throws out Victory Bell and Ash sends out Famfy, who amazingly wins. Um, Jigglypuff loses against Wobbuffet, and Wobby also counters Poliwhirl and Famfy again, and then James sends out Weezing for a smokescreen, and like Batman, they disappear into the fog with Jigglybiff and Jigglybuff. Wow, Team Rocket just put on a show and and really switched up their battle strategy there, leading with Victory Bell, though that didn't do much, and relying on Wobbuffet. That worked really well for them. The smokescreen, like, it all came together. They evaded and defeated three separate Pokemon to escape, and after having such a big over-the-top showing, too. Like, so far, it's looking like a good day for Team Rocket. Um, Brittany, though, she starts to cry. These are her best friends. So we can't leave her heartbroken like that. Ash grabs the microphone. Ladies and gentlemen, we're taking a short intermission to go rescue the Igly Buff because the show hasn't stopped. I don't know if the audience thinks that Team Rocket is part of the act somehow. I don't know if they're hoping to kind of create that illusion or if they're just wanting to keep the audience in their seats so that, you know... The night isn't a loss. Like, if they can get the Igly buff back in time, the show can go on and the the performance isn't ruined. I don't know. But Ash does have experience in tracking down and retrieving friends from Team Rocket in a timely manner. So I guess he thinks this isn't a whole stop everything, call the police, this show is over sort of situation. It's just a hiccup. <laughs> But what are they going to do in the meantime if they are trying to hold an intermission? Who's going to keep the crowd entertained while we track down and defeat Team Rocket? Ash and Misty both turn to Brock. Like, oh yes, I know just what to do. And so begins the running gag. Um, But the swiftness with which Ash and Misty come to this conclusion, I have to wonder if the three of them are like all sitting around a campfire and Brock whips out maracas like, it's talent night, guys! Like, Because that's what Ash and Misty have in mind. Like, Brock has these Pokeball maracas and a frilly outfit and apparently a routine. And though he protests at first, when Brittany asks for his help, he can't refuse. And I suppose for the audience in Japan, this was probably a a super fun moment because Takeshi's Paradise, the ending theme, had been airing for quite some time. Like, the kids watching the show would have been very aware of Brock and his sombrero and his maracas. Um, For us, it kind of comes out of the blue. 
but it's still no less hilarious. Like, he goes out there, he sings Takeshi's Paradise, the English version. And, oh, my gosh, that outfit, that number. Like I said, I'm interested and also somewhat fearful about how Ash and Misty found out he had this routine in his bag of tricks. And the ruffles, the sombrero. Did we figure out what this uh, Latin American-inspired outfit was called? I feel like we did. Like, the name of this cultural costume. I'll have to listen back through the archives. And the mustache. The mustache. Um, The weird thing is, the otaku boys are totally on board. I guess this song just speaks to them. Um, At least until they realize it's the only song he knows. (laughs) Anyway, Team Rocket is planning their rise to showbiz fame. They need to gather their artistic visions and also get rid of Jigglypuff. Which may not have been their best move because, of course, Jigglypuff, you know, has no loyalty to Team Rocket anymore. It leads the twerps right to Team Rocket. Should have offered it some of the limelight. So, we battle Team Rocket for the second time today. Oh, wow, poor Arbok took a Corsola to the stomach. And then the Igglybuff twins finish it off with Charm, Sweet Kiss, and Jigglypuff's Double Slap. Finally, Pikachu's Thunderbolt and Totodile's Water Gun sends Team Rocket blasting off. Now to get back to the concert hall, because Brock has been getting progressively more... sucky. He finally collapses, um, but perks up when he hears that Brittany's back. Um, He reintroduces her, the intermission's over, and her and the Looney Balloons can continue, and the concert is once again a happy place of joy, and it ends on a high note. Until Jigglypuff gets the encore. Did it draw on everybody's faces? Like, that was a huge crowd. Um, But whatever. It was a fun episode. And, like, we've always known Jigglypuff was vindictive, but to see it kind of, like, beating up little babies was a little surprising. I mean, it it did at that one time, like, just beat the crap out of a Clefairy. (laughs) Of course, the violence was mutual, but... Like, I, again, it's, it just still surprises me. Like, like the Igglybuff were tiny and bitty. They couldn't fight back. Are you really that evil, Jigglypuff? Apparently you are. Um, another interesting thing about this episode was that they got an actual idol uh, to play the part of Brittany, um, Chihiro, in uh, the Japanese version, um, Yui Horie. And she's, like, still active in the industry. She's a voice actor as well as a, a singer-songwriter. Um... And, I mean, it's not that super surprising because, like, I mean, a lot of voice actresses in Japan are also, like, singers or idols even. It's 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 a career that has a lot of crossover, certainly. Um, but it does seem interesting to me because, like, you know, there's no telling how big she was at the time. But, you know, Pokemon, this is her only credit on Pokemon. She came in to do that one role and no others. So it does kind of seem like they specifically got a singer to play that one specific role of a singer, somebody who, you know, was an idol professionally, like she was in a couple different groups and, you know, then branched out on her own kind of thing. It's just interesting to me, a nice little touch. And if, you know, she had been pretty big at the time, like if she was the kind of name that would have been known and recognized, like that would have been really fun for the people watching at home. 
like if I don't know, we got an English equivalent, like a Disney Channel star or Katy Perry or something to play <laughs> this role. That would have been interesting. Um, but that kind of thing. Like, it's just a nice little touch. Anyway, that's it for the episode. Like, it was super fun, but it is filler. I do enjoy, though, like seeing all the different professions and the different kinds of people that Ash runs into. Like, that's, like I said, one of the fun things about this show. And and we will be seeing a couple interesting professions down the line as we wrap up the Johto journeys. Um, but for now, that's it. If you'd like to comment on this episode or any others, any of the other people Ash has met on his journey, check out that interview or Poke Press or other stuff that I've mentioned. You can visit our blog. It is peakappypodcast.blogspot.com. Um, we're also on Facebook and Twitter at peakappypodcast. Um, my email is peakappypodcast at gmail.com. And of course, we are on iTunes, Zoom, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you guys next time. This has been Peak Happy Podcast. Gotta catch them all.